0: Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips.
1: For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people it's been liberating. Take us for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh.
2: And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process theology always has fundamentally been and will always be an exploratory dialogue.
1: That alone is proof that faith-raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time.
0: So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hey, y'all. This is just Josh here. We are doing a rerun of one of our favorite episodes from the archives, probably the most summer vibes episode we've ever done, which is funny because we recorded it as episode number 23 back in February of 2021, which is definitely not during church camp season. But we had a lot of fun. We reminisced about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And hopefully this episode is just as much fun for you as it was for us. Enjoy.
2: Hi, everyone. How are y'all doing? Good. It's a new day. This is great. Good. Uh, so first I want to know, what are y'all drinking today on this fine mm. uh, recording day?
0: I'm drinking something for the first time. This is a grapefruit IPA from Ghostfish Brewing here in Seattle. Uh, it's gluten-free, though, which is really unique. And I usually oh, wow. don't love IPAs, but my roommate drinks this all the time and she loves it. And it's pretty good so far. It's refreshing. So oh, I'm nice. loving it.
2: Good. How about Josh, you, Stephen?
1: W- what was your experience of that, of that leftover Thanksgiving Sprite tea that I oh sent the Marco yeah. Polo? <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: You guys, if anyone listened to uh, our episodes <gasps> around Thanksgiving, what I did was Stephen's suggestion for putting tea bags in a bottle of Sprite. I did a raspberry tea and you like let it steep for a couple days. I just found it this week in my basement fridge. I don't know how I lost it. But I found it, and it was still carbonated, you guys. It had been, uh, it's about three Dude. months away. Oh, it was wow. still carbonated a bit, and uh, it was really syrupy. Me and my roommate drank a little bit, and it was like syrupy in taste. It
2: was good. Do you think, do you think that's because of the tea?
0: I guess so, yeah.
1: Did you have any of it at Thanksgiving, or did
0: you just leave a oh, yeah. sealed bottle? Oh, okay. No, no, no. We had like half of it, and that's why I'm surprised. I don't know how I lost the other half of the bottle that was still there. That's very weird. That's very hmm. weird. Yeah. Wow. But, but uh, I mean 9 out of 10 would recommend.
1: Okay. 9. Yeah, just don't get That's... it let it all sir. I'm surprised it didn't turn into like a kombucha situation after That's
2: what months. I was afraid of. That could have yeah. been very questionable.
0: Yeah, I'm right? surprised it wasn't flat. Dubious at best. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> all right. I am I'm here for another K-Cup veranda blend Starbucks coffee. I uh mm. I'm on the I'm on the tail end. I'm on the last like two hours of a 24 hour fast, you guys, and I'm putting coffee just in Ooh. an empty stomach. Ugh. So we'll see how we end this oh,
2: podcast. Boy, dang, wow. good luck You're with gutsy. that. Yeah.
0: What about you, Emily?
2: I've been craving a ton of fruit, so I went through my fridge and I just made like a smorgasbord fruit smoothie, and it honestly is amazing. It's so good. Mm. Nice. Yes. Mm.
1: What's so your good. primary fruit? In your smoothies?
2: Uh strawberries, bananas, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, and orange juice.
0: Wow, you really do have them all there. I mean, yeah. Emily, I don't enough, know if but... you know this, but I used to work at a bar in college. <sighs> um, it was a smoothie bar, but it was still a bar. But if you ever need smoothie what a suggestions, way to drop that. <gasps> Josh. I have a ton. Where
2: have you been all of my life? I know.
0: Slide in my DMs later, Emily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Perfect. I will be sure to do that. Um, so here it. we are. Here we are consuming our beverages and uh, and gathering in this online space. And, you know, our last conversation got me thinking about sort of indoctrination of Christianity and, Whoa. you know, where Whoa. we put our allegiance. What? 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 What?
1: Sorry. Josh and I were just talking about this right before we started
2: taping. <laughs> We were <laughs> I read I read that's your mind. That's really why.
1: solid stuff right there. Yeah. Um,
2: and I have to confess that literally, at least, multiple times, if not all of them so far, topics that I have led, or topics of significance conversation. Has been topics that I have preached on on our recording days. Mm. And today is one of those days. So Ooh. today, our lectionary talked about Mark's version of come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I talked about my experience of going to Dare to Share. And right then and there, I was like, oh, MG, we need to talk about these conferences, these evangelical <laughs> sort of, you know, youth uh indoctrinal events in the christian spectrum that i'm sure well actually i'm pretty sure all three of us have actually attended something of that nature i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly like josh you've said that you attended acquire the fire i know steven i think you also attended acquire the fire i attended dare to share and so i wanted to know what a your experiences or your uh insight of those Are what have those done for you, either positively and or negatively, and then just see where the conversation goes from there? Because I have a lot of thoughts about those types of events.
0: So, like Christian conferences in general. Mm Hmm. I've actually had a variety of experience. I don't know about you two.
2: Well, I guess technically I have two. Then, if we're encompassing just conferences in general.
0: Yeah, maybe we should just start there. Um. So I I think mine have been separated into three different ones. Growing up in high school, I would go to church camp, and I feel like church camp should count as a form. I agree. Number two, my state conference or whatever for like our network of churches would do like these youth events, like youth conferences once or twice a year. So, I also went to those. And growing up, my family also took us to this conference in Wisconsin called the Holy Spirit Conference, and it was like this national gathering. Uh, There was originally put on by the baptist one of the baptist conferences but it since became more of a like charismatic leaning uh gathering uh so that was another one mm. and i also did go to a couple acquire the fire events and i think that we might have gone to the same ones because i went to the ones in billings yeah yes. i think it's possible mm-hmm. okay what about you Stephen? Very what likely. were what were your uh conferences
1: experiences First of all, I, I would have never, it would never have occurred to me to include church camp. But absolutely, <gasps> after you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's what that is. Especially the big, like, week long ones up in the mountains of Montana. Hey, and,
2: hey, hey,
1: hey, I love them all. I loved camp. <laughs> camp was the best. Winter retreat. I loved camp. I'm totally there for it. Oh, yeah. But I do like putting it in the same category as some of these conferences because they can achieve the same flavor you know. Mm -hmm. So growing up in my youth group, my first experience was in Acquire the Fire in the sixth grade. Uh, and I went with my youth group and it was my very first experience with my youth group. So it was a real culture shock for me (laughs) coming from homeschooling Mm -hmm. and not knowing anyone and then like loading up on a bus from all with all the other kids from the church and loading in to Acquire the Fire. I was like, just Mm -hmm. why, why? Like, what is happening? So that was my first of three Acquire the Fires I've been to. I've been to one Dare to Share in Denver. And I also went to another lesser known conference in Denver called Planet Wisdom. Oh. And what set it apart for me. So like if Acquire the Fire is a big evangelistic tool in that the organization exists to get youth there to evangelize to them and like precipitate salvation. Then Dare to Share takes that to the next level, and they they say, like, okay, now it's your turn. We're going to train you how to have these conversations to share your faith with people mm. in your life. Planet Wisdom, in my mind, and actually my my uh, youth pastor actually described it this way, as, like, Planet Wisdom is the next step beyond Dare to Share. And they're like, okay, now you're sharing the faith, but let's really go deep into what you're sharing and why you're sharing. And huh. Oh, I like that. It was interesting because it was a nice turn of like the conference began with the assumption that it was a conference full of Christians and not like a bunch of curious youth who are here for the rock show or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I really I really liked Planet Wisdom. I have a lot of uh, fond memories of that trip and things I learned, even the band they did feature as the like the worship band. I still listen to the two to this day. Cause I think they're good musicians. And I got to hang out with the drummer backstage during the conference. And it was like, it was really cool.
0: So are you saying, I haven't heard of either of those. Are you saying dare to share was the evangelize the attenders one?
1: No, I'm saying acquire the fire. I mean, it's kind of in the name, like acquire the fire is the one that you want to share the gospel with the people there in the big Metro park arena. Right. You want to cause more Christians to walk out of the building than there were that walked into the building to begin with. And then dare to share is the one that trains you on how to evangelize, like in your communities and in your classrooms and in your high schools or whatever. Mm-hmm. It turns the evangelistic script instead of like trying to make you a Christian at acquire the fire. Dare to share is like, okay, now you're a Christian and you need to multiply too. You need to make Christians yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That's a good distinction. Emily, what of your, that's at least. Yeah.
2: Uh, so church camp. Obviously. And if you haven't heard my no normal people episode, um, I talk about camp a lot. So sorry. Uh church camp for sure. I went to, oh my goodness, starting in sixth grade. So I've been to probably seven Dare to Share events and like three wow. acquire the fire events. Wow. Um, and and we went to one in Seattle and all the other ones we went to were in Denver for Dare to Share. And to be wow, honest, I've like never I heard started, of Dare to I,
0: Share until today. How have both of you guys gotten to that? I've never heard of it. Mm,
2: oh, well, we can get we can get into that. Maybe for it's a sure. Laurel Montana thing. It must be a Laurel <laughs> thing. Definitely. I. Yep. Not even ashamed of that. Um, and then our church conference in the Methodist Church, now Mountain Sky, formerly known as Yellowstone, before we merged with Rocky Mountain, We would host youth events called Convo, and those were so fun. Those were like your winter retreat, Stephen, but they were crazy, like very crazy, just wacky games and not at all like completely like biblical based. It was just a great time. Um, And then (laughs) our conference would host for adults and for anyone really to attend other conferences throughout the year. And then... I would actually count like our legislative conferences as part of that. Mm. And I'll get into that later. Um, So I was like a voting youth delegate for our annual conference. Mm. And my sister and I were delegates when we went to Germany for our conference, um, representing the United Methodist Church. So I've done a lot of uh, things like that. I guess I should
0: amend mine and say that I've had varying levels of leadership at some of these conferences, like at the, uh, Montana state Baptist convention, youth ones, I was like a student leader for several years. Like I think for three different years at the Holy spirit conference in Wisconsin, I have helped lead worship. I have been a youth volunteer. I have, uh, led young adult groups, stuff like that. So I've been like a participant, but also like a volunteer leader in varying capacities as well. Mm
1: Now that we're wow. now that we're talking in this kind of world of like collecting youth together for a big moment, like Emily, you participated in Girls State in high school, right?
2: No, I did not. Oh, see,
1: which I thought actually, you were- Which actually I was
2: kind of glad I didn't. <laughs>
1: see, I thought you were one of the ones. So I did Boys State, which was like the public high schools around Montana send like two or three representatives from every high school, collect themselves in Helena, Montana, and- uh, Carroll College, the, the local private Catholic college there, allows uh, Boys State to like use their dorms during the summer for this event. But Boys State was essentially like, it was like church camp, but for government
2: nerds. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to describe that. But I
1: also had an experience just a couple years before Boys State uh, of an organization in Montana called Teen Pact, And I'm not sure if it's just Montana, mm
2: -hmm. but
1: I participated in Teen Pact, which was essentially Boys State, but for Christian homeschoolers. Wow. Which definitely like crossed a few wires in my brain at a very impressionable time of my life. R.E. See our political episode right before this one. So I guess I would also count those as some like conference experiences I've had. Sure. Yeah.
2: I think those definitely count. So... Of your experiences, what were some prominent moments for you and why? Like I like today in my sermon, I talked about how one Dare to Share in particular was very moving for me because like I had been to so many of them and I had heard the spiel. And I kept coming back, which people would be like, well, why do you keep coming back? And a big reason was because of the music. Like, I love those <laughs> bands. Hawk Nelson. I'm talking OG Hawk Nelson. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking early 2000s Hawk Nelson people. Yeah, right. Uh, Stellar Cart. Um, oh, gosh. oh, gosh. Skillet. Um, You name them. like Okay. The, just the good music. Okay. Hey, don't question me, Stephen. We'll get—I'm sure—we'll come up with a conversation about music at some point. Nah, I, um,
1: I'm ready to talk about skillet now. Are you kidding me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I—I went back into this one conference in particular was just so moving for me because it broke away from the narrative of okay, you're now Christians, you get to go evangelize. It really focused on just how to have conversations in general. And I think that for me was the tipping point to be like, wow, I don't have to necessarily push people towards Jesus. Like I can just be mm. authentically myself oh, and wow. that and that can show people Jesus. Um, and so one of the books that I actually got from there was called Venti Jesus, Please. And I oh, still wait, have
0: like the Starbucks size, like the Starbucks
2: size. Oh, like the Starbucks
0: size. my. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, my. <laughs> OK,
1: what a yeah okay Okay. so
2: the convert the book is set around its three friends it's an atheist and an agnostic and a christian and it's real people who have gone to coffee shops and these three talk about their faith or Mm. you know they explore questions and whatever and it's from the perspective of the atheist and it's so enlightening and it's just so cool because it allows you to just have a conversation Mm. and to say okay here it is like I can pass this book on now. Like, I've read their story. It's real people. It's not like a fictional, here's Bob, who is going to go talk to Susie. It's, no, really, here's real people. You get to hear from their voice what they are talking about and to just leave it at that and to not have that pressure. And I really admired that. And that, for me, was my tipping point. And that's actually when I stopped going to Dare to Share Hmm. because I said, Okay, yeah, like, I, I don't want to go as a leader or a volunteer, like, I've done my part, I now have everything I need, this isn't going to be any different for me now if I keep going, like, mm-hmm. it won't fill me any more than it already has. So, what have your moments been of what has stuck out to you, when did you realize these things were had, you know, filled their purpose or did you feel like you didn't get enough out of it or what were your experiences of these things that you attended or led? For me, I
0: always felt like I think even when I was in them, I always felt like the more intimate settings, like the smaller youth retreats or the church camp that was uh, pretty small compared to some other bigger ones like Young Life. I always felt like in the moment I got more out of those uh, versus like even attending something big like Acquire of the Fire at the time, it always, for me at least, it always just felt like one big ad like mm. to get you to go to their mm. thing. Mm. Even though I think that there was some heavy evangelistic elements in there too. Um, even like high schooler, naive, little apologetic Josh um, <laughs> always felt like it was just like a giant ad campaign.
2: <laughs> wow. And I did wow. not like that.
0: Yeah. But one particular moment really sticks out in my mind that I think was really formative for me because a lot of the retreats and conferences all had this in common, like some sort of like altar call slash some people would call it like ugly cry night that would Uh, mm -hmm. try to like evoke that kind of spiritual moment, right? I think we've probably all experienced some form of that. And I was a counselor at the high school camp after graduating high school. And I actually, I think this was post ministry school too. And one of the kids brought up to the director, we had like a round table kind of say anything, give some feedback about the camp meeting. And one of the kids brought up like, I wish we like had some sort of spiritual night like that. And I really respected what the director said. Shout out to Gary. If you're listening, he really had a hard stance against why he does not think that's okay and that that's spiritual manipulation and that's not what Jesus wants. And that for me was like such a turning point, I think, because I had not ever heard that articulated that precisely mm-hmm. and certainly not from a leader. And what for was me, his stance? Well, his stance was that he doesn't think spiritual manipulation is okay and he, he's not on board with like manipulating kids into accepting Christ mm-hmm. in whatever form that takes. And I really appreciated that as someone who had like g- grown up in that church camp and like seen that happen over and over again and then mm-hmm. get to the point where I was a leader and to hear someone higher above me say that, like, that wasn't okay. Okay. Wow.
1: But it sounds like you're discounting a little bit the possibility that real things could be happening.
0: And I don't want to discount that because, like, I'm sure that some people who went to acquire the fire, like, found Jesus for the first time, right? Like, yeah, right. if we actually believe God is real and that God can encounter us anywhere, then, like, I think we have to accept that. But I do think that my director was right in that manipulation is a different thing. Like if you are trying to manipulate someone into feeling a specific thing, then I think that that can have really dangerous complications later on. Like, I think that that's more likely to cause people to like spiral away Sure. If sure. they're like given something that they realize was manufactured. Yeah.
2: In the first if, they're,
1: place. if they're just chasing like the worship time, uh, like goose pimples or whatever, you know, like goosebumps yeah. from right. the Holy Those Spirit. Yeah. Spiritual or whatever.
2: highs or lows, mm-hmm. which
1: I've definitely had. And the only reason I push back a little bit, Josh, is like the moment you're describing of where your director is saying, no, we won't engineer that. Like I've had genuine moments like that. And sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, so my Acquire the Fire almost didn't do anything. For me, other than instill a deep and abiding love for hard rock and metal music. <laughs> um, yes. That's funny. Huh. Quite literally, my first experience of A Choir of Acquire the Fire was the year that Skillet came to Billings for the first time with them and they had just released their Comatose record.
2: Oh, yes.
1: So, I, Emily, I think you and I were at the same one at least, if Josh we wasn't there. We definitely were. Um, I remember seeing that show and being like, "Oh my God, there is an entire world of Christian music that sounds like <laughs> this." Uh I mean, I, I almost exclusively listen to metal music to this day, and all of that was because of how freaking well skillet puts on a show. Yes, mm. I, amen I have a couple weird looping stories in my head that really don't have much context that I might- oh, I'm ready. Well, we'll be the judge of that. Can I come to them later, though? Because I kind of want to get sure. back to what we were talking about with the with oh, the sure worship nights and the uh, possible manipulation. But so, acquire the fire. That's pretty much all I got from acquire the fire. Was good, good music, you know. And uh, mm. now it's kind of debatable whether skill it's good or not. Early records, sure. Just like early Hawk <laughs> Nelson, sure. Absolutely. But absolutely. <laughs> but, absolutely. Uh, you know, I can't I can't really follow Skillet any anywhere beyond that record because it was so formative for me. Anyway, I digress. Planet Money was the very last conference I attended, and that was the one Planet Money. Money. What? (laughs) Yeah. Planet Wisdom. See (laughs) Planet Wisdom is what it was called. That one was really formative for me because, again, the the premise of it was we're all here as Christians to grow deeper rather than uh, rehashing a lot of evangelistic tropes or whatever.
2: I wish I had attended something like that. And
1: Ugh. it was really special because it was like a three day conference and it was a series of 10 lessons that were kind of cut up with like other speakers and other bands and just a ton of worship time. Uh, which is why, like, I still follow that band to this day because it was Planet Wisdom was the first place that I actually encountered a genuine worshipful moment. And maybe I was mm. being manipulated, but I don't remember it that way. I don't feel it that way. But it it really taught me beyond just being a person who is a musician and can participate in creating the worship music. Mm it was one of the first times where I was able to disconnect from the musicianship side of things and just analyzing everything the drummer was doing and what the worship leader was doing. And I, it like it unlocked in me a corner of my heart that was actually made available to worship in a real genuine way. And the, and the lesson series was really impactful. I remember it to this day. Like they broke down using the image of pottery, uh, down to like in the booklet, it had pictures of a potter, like making a cup or whatever. Mm -hmm. And each lesson was like the next step in the pottery process. And I'm sure we can call to mind all the verses talking about like we're jars of clay, but also like, does the potter get to, or does the pottery get to say anything to the potter that the potter doesn't know? Or like, mm. it was really, it was really formative. And it was the very last conference I went to, because honestly, I, at that point I was like, that was the conference I've been leading up to. And now I feel like I can retire this part of my Christian career <laughs> in attending these big uh, these big collections of of people, you know, but mm-hmm. so if that was what taught me what worship music could be in my life, mm. there is a specific evening we had at summer camp once. And I'm sure any of my friends who are in youth group that are listening to this podcast know what I'm talking about. We had a night where it was, it was on the schedule to, we we're going to eat dinner and then uh youth pastor was going to give a short sermon and then we were going to share communion do a couple songs of worship. And then it was like this big hyped, like it was the night to play the night game outside. Right. And we got into the sermon and we started playing some music while we all like collected our elements for communion. And, um, the way we were given the elements this time, it was the first time we had ever experienced like taking a piece and then dipping it in the cup. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's a specific word for it, but I'm blanking on
0: it now. It's called intinction. Oh, there you go. Like where, where you dip it into the cup. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you for this. Yeah. So it was the first time I had ever experienced that. And for some reason, the rest of my youth group also, we were all kind of like, you know, because we're, we're the church that has the little slotted plate that has all the tiny little plastic cups full of juice that we pass all the way down. So you have this tiny little thing and then like an oyster cracker or whatever. But oh. Uh, Just having the bread and dipping it in the cup was new. And I think all the new context creation that was happening that night Mm. really, really turned our community into something really special that night. Like we all talk about it. Even those of us who don't identify as Christians anymore still talk about that night as one of the most impactful nights of our lives. And Mm. so we shared communion and we kept playing music and the worship pastor was like, hey, I know we had game night, but... Do you guys want me to keep playing? And he kind of like dismissed the rest of the band, so the band could participate or whatever. And literally for like what felt like three or four hours, he just looped through the same like ten songs. And one of the most impactful like spiritual experiences of worship I have ever had in community with people who were also feeling the same thing. And I didn't get a sense of manipulation out of it. In fact, like the the fact that the night started as we'll do this real quick and then we'll go play the big night game that we're all looking forward to. Right. But we all voluntarily laid that down as well and said, no, there's something special here. Like,
2: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just now. Like it was,
2: yeah, you're making me like, Oh,
1: it was powerful. Mm. So uh, like the, the convention conversation can be tricky. The camp conversation can be tricky, but I want to make sure we don't lose the fact that very real and lasting changes and like imprints are made yeah. you know
2: and i think that's why i framed my question the way i did because i think just the reality of life is there are things that we let go but there are things that stay with us and they are those things that are life-giving and Stephen, i can I mean, you know me i've talked about camp a hundred times and i'll continue to talk about camp a hundred times i'm not even a camper anymore i'm just a dean and i still experience Mm -hmm. those moments like alongside with my campers right and that for me is i think like if i hadn't gone to dare to share and like started attending camp i don't know if i would have had those moments before or experienced them in the ways that i did so i'm almost like laying my hat down to those conferences that i attended to say like thank you for opening my eyes to Other and new possibilities of faith exploration because Mm. I found camp like Mm. more in depth because of it.
1: I should also say, like following that night of summer camp for the several summers and winters that we went to the same place as a youth group, there was an air of like, we all kind of knew we could never recreate that moment. So we never asked to try. You know, it was like, man, that was such a Mm. holy moment in time that we're not going to like ask our youth pastor to intentionally play the same songs and we're going to do communion the same way. It was like there was a there was a reverence almost for the past and being like, "Okay, we all had mm. something there that we likely will not be able to recreate." And that was really special. That was really special. The fact that our, us as a group, it was like an unspoken thing like we can talk about mm. that night, but we don't try and remake that night or try and relive it in a in a selfish way
2: Mm, i love that
1: we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. seriously there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology
2: if you want to support what we're doing the best way to help is to tell a friend about us We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between.
0: And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency.
2: For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you.
1: Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Following that too. That's also what inspired me to get involved so heavily in worship leading at church, but also all throughout high school. As soon as the youth pastor wanted me to, like I was helping lead cabins and leading worship for the middle school group while I was in high school, pretty much for four solid years, you know, because like, because I had that experience and I wanted to try and share that. I mean, shoot, like, a few years ago, the youth pastor at the church now, he asked me to be the guest preacher for like a three night summer camp. So I like I visited my old church and I I wrote three sermons and all that.
0: Wow. Stephen, I'm glad that you pushed back against me because I do think I came off the wrong way at first. I hmm. like that you brought up that just because some aspects of past things we have attended or been a part of, we have now moved past from or we've even like deemed as a harmful structure that doesn't discount spiritual experiences that we or other people had there. Mm. Like we don't have to go down this rabbit hole. I'm just using this as an example, but like all the people who are attending a certain person's worship protests right now in America, (laughs) not all of those people are bad. (laughs) And those people are probably having legitimate spiritual experiences that will be formative for the rest of their lives. Right. Yes. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that what you have highlighted well is that these spiritual religious contexts that we find ourselves in th- that are like tangential to church. Like they themselves are not church services or church structure. Like they are very unique things mm-hmm. um, that happen in like parachurch organizational ways. Like they are multifunctional. Like they are both causing spiritual experiences that are good and healthy and formative, And they are also probably causing things that are traumatic and uh, like disregarding certain persons and, are Mm -hmm, harmful mm -hmm. in psychological ways. Like Mm. they are neither good nor bad, but they are causing Mm. like, they're neither inherently good nor bad as like a conference structure, but like they're causing multiple different functions out of them. Right. And I think you highlighted that really well. Oh yeah. Thank you.
1: I I think the pushback was, uh, there was a little bit in me that I was like, don't you dare talk about my one precious night as if it Mm, was like all manufactured but at the same mm-hmm. time, like, I could sit here on Ravel today and tell you that I, I don't believe half the things I preached at that camp that my, the, mm-hmm. the, the youth mm-hmm. pastor totally, asked totally. me to. Like, I, I don't even ha- believe half the things I preached there. And I was the one preaching. So, like, we change. Obviously, we evolve. We change. We grow. We continue mm-hmm. to ravel things. And and as we do so, like, certain things get left behind. But uh, there's, there's just such a sweet memory to some of those moments for me that... Mm-hmm. I mean, like, dude, we could make an entire episode about my skepticism of modern worship music right now because (laughs) manipulation is a word that comes up very often. And I think that's valid. And that's
2: why I'm glad you brought that up, Josh. Yeah.
1: But that doesn't mean to say, yeah, exactly. That that doesn't mean to say that it's all manipulation or it's
0: all underhanded, like a big ad sale. So here's a question that I've thought of a little bit before. I'm curious to get your guys' take. With all of that said, What do you feel like is helpful for either of you in like trying to evaluate, uh, like, I guess maybe, maybe not just evaluate, but like analyze the functions of a certain conference or event or something like that. Cause like, I can recognize that, like, I've looked back at some things that I've attended and kind of tore them apart a little bit and like, uh, like decided I didn't like the way they did some things uh, for various reasons. But I, like, I can also acknowledge that I really like and miss some of the conference elements that I have taking part of before. And I can, totally. like, even me and a buddy of mine were talking the other week about throwing together some sort of conference again for people our age at the same conference grounds in Wisconsin that we, like, met each other at. Mm-hmm. But, like, we don't want to attend the same thing that we met each other at, because we feel like we've, we like, we don't resonate with it anymore. Sure. Right. And so, like, yeah. I can recognize that, like, there is something great about coming together and, like, being on the same page about things, even if you, like, disagree about other things. And so, like, how do you even begin to go about I don't like using the word judging for this but like how do you judge the the function of like the entire conference thing mm, and like determine mm-hmm. whether or not it's like a healthy to go to or like b producing good in the world or c if it's an echo chamber of some sort hmm.
2: I feel like my go to answer is whether or not it's life-giving and again that is also <laughs> you laugh all you want sorry steven. check I don't the care. bingo card um, she said life-giving <laughs> we seriously should create a bingo card i know card. we're doing that with um, our
1: patrons in discord right now we we need more suggestions perfect. so if you're a patron
2: please, please please please
1: give us more things you notice
2: i say that though because josh and steven you both have brought this up there are elements that are authentic and wholesome to what the purpose of the conference is, but the ways in which they produce themselves or are represented are not done in that manner. And so I think Mm. for me, it would be, do the people need to change? Is it how just how the conference itself is structured or is it content? And so I think it's looking at those three areas and to say, here's what could change here. Here's what we'll keep here. Because it's life giving. There you go. I said it again. I also think it's whether or not a conference is willing to adapt. Mm,
0: because if you go okay. to a
2: conference mm. and you attend it as a youth, and let's say you now go and you're a volunteer, because maybe a kid or someone in your church goes and like they ask for volunteers. So you're now attending as a volunteer, like leader, chaperone, and it's the same, then I would say it needs to stop. Because if you are not adapting to the world around you and adapting to the people around you and what the needs are of those attending Mm. and what the needs are of those Mm. who are not attending, who would ultimately be impacted as well from those who attended, then you're not doing any good. You're not servicing anyone at that point.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I feel like the same criticism could just be made for church. Like you just made an argument <laughs> for dismantling all yes. of
2: church structure. So, like, yes, and that's what I talked about in my sermon. How are you
0: making that argument about conferences, but like not applying exactly. that to yourself? Oh,
2: I am. A, are you are you oh, calling okay, me okay. out, Josh?
0: Oh, maybe are you calling me maybe, out. <gasps> maybe I'm just like not noticing something,
2: though. Josh, you have heard me say a, pr- a pastor <laughs> who doesn't acknowledge the world around them is doing that's a disservice true. to their congregation. I have literally like, heard you, you say that. Mm. If right. you as a congregation, you as an organization, you as an institution, you as a conference, insert blank here, do not adapt to the world around you, then you are ultimately doing a disservice to those people whom you are serving mm. and those who you could potentially serve.
0: That's true. That's fire right I guess there. what seems Dang. really attractive to me about conferences and like that retreat kind of structure is it seems less hierarchical. Like that is mm. that in itself is attractive to me that like it's more collaborative. It's more team based. It usually not always, but it usually transcends the denomination somehow mm. and is like trying to incorporate and involve lots of different denominations. Yeah. And oh, I yes. love that idea for some reason, like the well, whole unity thing. Yeah. Like I like that idea. Totally.
1: I mean, you said it was parachurch. I think that's still that tracks, but. The fact that these churches have to have their youth, like, raise money to buy a ticket. Like, the purchase of the ticket is an endorsement by your local church for the thing that they're sending their kids to, you know? Sure. But, but you're right. It is interesting that Emily, a Methodist, and Stephen, a closeted Baptist <laughs> who doesn't think Methodists are Christians, can attend the same Acquire the Fire. I, that is good. It, like, it has an equalizing mm-hmm. effect. That you probably don't realize because it's a very big room and you're in a very big arena and you're all looking the same way at the same stage and all that. But yeah, it does it does teach you a lot about like, whoa, there, are, there's a way to look at those conferences and kind of look around like in the middle of the seats. You're like, there are this many Christians in this city? What are we doing? Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. why isn't our yes. city better? Which, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to talk about that too, but...
2: Ooh, you also bring up a really good point, Stephen. You attended Acquire the Fire. I also attended Acquire the Fire. And yet, years down the road, here we are in high school, and obviously we have reconciled and (laughs) you see me as a Christian, but you attended the same conference that I did, and yet you saw me in a different light. And, like, we discovered later on, like, oh, yeah, we were at this together and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So what is it then about these events that brings all these people together, and yet when they go back to the quote unquote real world, the message disappears, or it's like your vision is skewed. Because you would mm. think if you were to attend a something like a choir the fire and you then interact with me later in school, and you're like, oh my gosh, like here's this crazy Methodist chick. Mm. Like, mm. let's have a conversation. And instead, it was very, you were judging from like the From the backdrop. Like, how do you feel those conferences then are inhibiting actual growth of Christians?
1: I have a couple thoughts. Um,
2: And also, I forgive you. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you for this. Yeah, we've talked about this quite a bit. Like, our relationship in high school was, it was like, let's not talk about our, our mutual Christianity because... One of us doesn't <laughs> think we're mutual Christians, <laughs> but hey, we were both drummers, and we were both really good at student yes. council, right? So there's that, <laughs> yeah,
2: two out of three no, bad, okay, in so it's a
1: meatloaf. my first thought my where my brain first goes is kind of that effect I was speaking to, where the room is so big, and you kind of lose a personal flavor that you that is maintained in like a summer camp because summer camp is just inherently smaller like if you tried to pull off a summer mm-hmm. camp at the scale of acquire the fire i mean oh my to be fair i'm sure there are summer camps that do that uh but i can't imagine those are those last very long i think i think after the first teen pregnancy following that kind of thing uh it probably shut down oh boy but i hey mm-hmm. it happens we know it happens but <laughs> so there's there's a level of anonymity that acquire the fire gives you where it's like i didn't bump into you you didn't bump into me i was there with my youth group you were there with your youth group and even the youth groups though it's like we've already built in the fact that acquire the fire is just going to be this like a collection of roving bands of cliques that don't really talk outside themselves you know Mm. sure the other thing is i think what acquire the fire attempts to do is like I mean, it's pretty common Christian language, like on fire for Jesus or whatever, you know, and they want you to be inspired to share. They want you to be inspired to talk. So the way they do that is with so much now I am going to say emotional manipulation, like they hype you up Mm. so freaking much that in my mind, it's like winning the spiritual lottery. Like, I don't think winning the lottery is healthy for a human being. And just like a sudden injection of millions of dollars in the same way, mm-hmm. I don't think it's healthy for a soul to have such an injection of like spiritual excitement because inevitably a week later when you're like you're doing the dishes because it's your chores and your mom is like you're loading the dishwasher wrong. It's like, but I'm supposed to be on fire for Jesus. And you're like, I'm back to <laughs> I'm back to loading dishes. And then all of a sudden you just it's it's quite literally a high that you crash. Off oh, for of, sure. Right.
2: Oh, that's a good point.
1: That, I think, is a crucial effect of what these conferences can
0: have on a person, especially a very young, impressionable person.
2: That is also important. Well, like,
0: okay, I'm with you, Stephen, in that I have totally had formative spiritual experiences in the smaller church retreat setting, Mm -hmm. in the larger, like, big conference setting. Like, I have had spiritually formative experiences that, like, I can remember off the top of my head that, like, I think put me on a track towards becoming a Christian and like making a conscious effort to like be a Christ follower. I can think of one example. I think I was in sixth grade. I'm pretty sure it was the first church youth retreat I ever attended. Totally, And it was like one of those after worship, like post-service, like, you know, if you just need to meet with Jesus, like do your thing right now, we're just going to be here in the background. Like you just meet with God. And like, I totally had one of those moments of like, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go, like, just send me, like, I'll Mm -hmm. do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And Like I like even now as I like deconstruct how I think that maybe was spiritually manipulative and like forced me to go a certain direction and like didn't actually give me the tools to critically think like in a way that experience did put me on this path that like, like now I'm doing a podcast like talking about Jesus. Right. Like I can't just discount that. that. Like I can't just discount that I had that spiritual experience. So like I'm definitely with you on that. But on the other hand, Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of our episodes we did about money and the episode we did about cults. And like, I Mm. think that organizations Mm. that put on conferences should absolutely be held to a high standard. And like, if they are not a nonprofit, that needs to be seriously looked at. Like, Uh. Acquire the Fire got sued and went bankrupt because Compassion sued them for money that they were promised and And they didn't get get paid.
2: Yes. And so like,
0: that organization crumbled because they were not accountable. But I also think that we have to, like, we kind of talked about this in our episode on cults. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode, um, highly recommend. Uh, Steven learned a lot. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, I, learned, I learned that my dentist is not a cult leader, but. <laughs> One that's thing right. we like talked about in that episode is that, like, even if we've, like, come out of a group or a conference type thing, because I would argue that that's not the same thing as, like, a, a held together organizational group.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even if we've like come out of something and we realize that we no longer hold to that, or we even realize that we were hurt by that, mm. that we shouldn't feel shame about moving forward, and totally, we shouldn't feel totally. shame mm. that, like we were a part of a thing that we then realize was not as great as we thought it was right. in the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, come to peace with it. Absolutely, I agree Absolutely. with you. Absolutely,
0: I think that we can like still hold that like things were formative for us and that we're not there anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, totally. Emily, you used the indoctrination word at the very beginning of your oh, premise yeah. here. And I do I want to come back to it and just by simply asking, I want to hear you to talk about if indoctrination is inherently bad.
2: Nope. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> yeah,
0: he said it. He went for it. Tell me more, please. Yes. Um I <sighs> Stephen, we already kind of mentioned this before Emily popped on. So Emily, you tell me what you think about this statement because I think it makes sense? Okay, but Lay I might be I might be making a bad argument. I think indoctrination either does not exist or it exists everywhere. Uh- <laughs> like it can only be one or the other. Like it's not like some things indoctrinate you and some things don't. Yeah, like I think it 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 either does not exist as a construct or it exists everywhere.
2: Mm, okay, yeah. I I would accept that statement.
1: Is there a third option here? I just, my brain hears that binary and I'm well, like. Well, the third
0: option in my mind that I hear, the reason why I say that, Stephen, this is a good question, is that I think some people are of the opinion that like, oh, like those Christians over there or like insert group, it doesn't have to be anti-Christian mm. people. Yeah. Like that group over there is just indoctrinating people. Right. Like kind of like we talked about on the Colts episode. I think a lot of people use it as a dismissive point, like. <laughs> they, sure. they use it as like an in-group, out group, us versus them. They are indoctrinating. Yeah. We are not. Yeah. And I think that is completely unfair. Right.
2: Oof. Yeah. Like wow. I think That's... that I
0: lean towards like indoctrination is everywhere, but like on the sociological level, there is no distinction between brainwashing and re-socialization. Like socialization.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like what sociologists call socialization is like the process of like you learning how to be a human and, like, have consciousness, right? So, like, you exist in a group, you're an individual, but you're a part of humanity. And, like, that process of growing up, they just term socialization. But, like, when you study a group that, like, is indoctrinating people, there's no functional difference between, like, you just learning a new mode of becoming human versus, like, brainwashing is kind of an outdated term. Yeah. So, like, they would just call it re-socialization. But, like... Totally. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about it in terms of socialization, like, everything is socializing you. Like, America is indoctrinating you. Yeah. Capitalism and, or socialism is indoctrin. Like, literally, mm-hmm. every ideology mm-hmm.
2: everything, yeah. is
0: indoctrinating if you. If there's
1: a positive assertion to make a stance on, it is indoctrinated into you. I think I'm willing to say it that, that yeah. heavily, right? Like, if you're going to yeah. make a positive case for anything indoctrination is at play oh
0: point. yeah i see what you're saying
1: it, to- yeah. it totally works like it does even yeah. five years ago pre uh discovering even what podcasts were and now look at steven five years from now like i am who i am because of all the things that i've chosen to make an input into my brain and into my ears through the podcast i listen to like so i've probably sure. strayed more toward the center politically and possibly even more left than i would have been Uh, comfortable with a few years ago just by the things that i'm listening to and it just it's because we're steeping our brain in that particular broth you
0: know and it just happens Mm. like and see and that's what makes me that but that's exactly what makes me agree that like the people who told us growing up like be careful what you look at be careful what you let into your body and like in your spirit is like ideas change you like i totally agree with that totally like yeah i like i think literally every form of media anything like we learn everything is like pointing us towards something even if it's like not as leading as like something like a sale like a salesman sure. is like trying to like for sure lead you to a sale yeah. but like i think sometimes the things that lead us along are a little less forthright like tight yeah 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 I, yeah, yeah. but like they're still leading us somewhere so like it's kind of funny that like, like Stephen, you and I were both homeschooled. Like, I feel like both of us probably got the whole like things are trying to lead you down a certain path, but like mm. that is true. But like, just because something is leading you somewhere, doesn't mean it's bad. Like everything is right. leading you somewhere.
1: Well, and that's the thing. What makes, uh, I mean, to bring it all the way back to it, like what that's what makes being a Christ follower so sticky is that so many people think they know what Christ was saying. You know, so like Mm -hmm. to be a Christ follower, like it takes a lot of work because I mean, it takes the ravel work here that we're doing because we're trying to Mm -hmm. like identify all these things that come from our family of origin and the way we were indoctrinated when we were young, even by Mm -hmm. going to these conferences. So bringing it all the way back to the conference, uh, I get that we need to maybe hold these conferences accountable to like, let's see where your money is going. Like if you're not a nonprofit, like what are you actually doing with it? Are you just here to make money? All these are valid questions, but we also have to recognize that it's very hard to build a conference on like not taking a particular stance on anything, you know, like, oh, like sure. I've considered going to the bad Christian conference or the liturgist gatherings. And even they, they have mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. essentially to sell you something to indoctrinate you with because they have, they have positive stances on how our human life should be explored you know so sure. like we can't just say it, like a conference wouldn't be successful if they somehow like convince you to buy a ticket to a thing where like as soon as we all show up they're like all right now what what do you guys want to do
0: <laughs> like that doesn't mm, it yeah. doesn't
1: work so they need something I, to
0: stand except, on they need- i would argue except in something like a presentation conference. Like I have, I have presented at scientific research conferences. Like I went to the, I went to a national Institute of health conference in DC and like presented research. That's
1: a very good.
0: That's more that. And that's more like share what, you know, here's the projects that have been done versus like a top down teaching structure, like breakout
1: groups Mm -hmm. and all sorts of, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there were like panels and stuff, I think. Sure. And like Q and A's, but it's, I, I felt like that was a very, noticeably different conference structure than the Christian conferences I was raised with. That is a fantastic distinction.
2: And I think you guys raise a very crucial point of what conferences should do, hopefully, is the gift of discernment. Mm. Just because you are led to go to a conference, you're led (laughs) to participate in something, you're led to whatever, you still have that gift of discernment and to decide- And to take what is going to be helpful, authentic to you and what's not. Because like Josh said, like just because you're led to something doesn't mean that that's bad, but you can also discern if it is bad or not. Once Mm. you are there, once you are present in that moment or actively engaging in that moment, because just because you go, you're hoping that it's good. But then Mm. if the end result is not, you have that gift of discernment to say, Hey, I actually did learn something. This is what not to do, hmm. or these are the things that I don't <laughs> want to take with me. Okay,
1: okay. So finally, I get to tell you my non sequitur story of like, yay! This, I'm this ready. The story of acquire the fire that's just endlessly looping in my brain, and I I yay! can't remember a context. So let me go pop the popcorn. Emily, to your point, I think I think absolutely critical thinking is important in this arena like discerning what you're being taught and and stuff. <laughs> what a way to minimize what you just said. But <laughs> this is like mega cynical, Steven. I'm putting my cynical hat on that I haven't been wearing okay. this whole time. Like I've made quite a it's defense lovely. for these kind of places, yeah, but I've now been, I'm going to put why the, cynical the cynical hat have I been the cynical
2: on. one this episode? What's up with that? <laughs> you wear that badge with honor.
1: I think there's an angle to these conferences, in particular Acquire the Fire. That attempts to make sure that the audience group size is large enough so that it's easier for the speakers and the teachers up on stage to play to groupthink and almost like mob dynamics, not mob in the sense of like storm the Capitol or whatever,
2: Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm.
1: it makes groupthink
0: easier. So now. My story. Did you know there's a there's a sociological term for that? It's called social facilitation.
2: Yeah.
0: It's the effect that when you are in a group, something becomes easier mm. versus when you are alone, it's harder. That's social facilitation. Totally. Okay. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, that, that's just group dynamics. So
1: yeah. and I think that people who put on these kind of conferences know that they can use that to their advantage. Totally. So my story. I believe this was the first Acquire the Fire I went to, which was the skillet. Concert with the Comatose Records. So, Emily, you may have been there and maybe you can provide context that I have not had since the sixth grade. Oh, sure. But it was after the concert. It was the very last night of teaching. Like, we were going to go home and we were not going to return to the Billings Metra Arena, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the very last thing that the pastor gets out there after this big, like, like there was a drama team. And they put on this big, like, heartwarming or, like, heart-wrenching play.
2: Yes. I remember
1: that. And then the pastor gets in... And starts speaking on Judges 19. And for those of you playing along at home who don't remember this story, honestly, I don't remember much of the story either, but the Levite goes somewhere. And then essentially we're recreating the, the scene in Sodom where a bunch of men are like, we need, we need to take care of this guy. And part of this is like humiliation through rape and through torture and whatever. And in the story... Uh, You can go read it. It's Judges 19. In the story, the man's concubine ends up being offered to the mob. And then in reaction, like he goes outside and finds her and he's like, all right, get up. We're going somewhere else, which absolutely bonkers story to begin with. But then he finds out she's dead. So what he does is cut her into 12 pieces, limb from limb, and ships the pieces of her body to the 12 tribes of Israel in order to inspire them to do something. That's... All I remember of the story, but I remember, I remember at choir, the Fire, this absolutely wild moment where they had a, like the pastor had this mannequin wheeled out.
2: <laughs> and, oh my gosh. I remember that. And he takes, he takes out
1: a saw. And as he's preaching, what? he just starts sawing pieces of this mannequin off. And then he has kids lined up on the stage And they have predetermined places to go throughout the auditorium. And basically, he saws a piece of this mannequin off, hands it to the kid, and then the kid goes sprinting across the arena and, like, gives it to, like, an excited onlooker or whatever, like, because every time a kid would go running, another group would be identified and everyone would stand up and then he would run over to that section and hand them, like, the limb of the mannequin. And I... In the moment, like I have vivid memories of like watching these kids run these body parts of the styrofoam mannequin across the arena. And in the moment, I remember being so (laughs) excited and so (laughs) I was so hyped, like I was cheering. I was like, yeah, Jesus, you know, like, but now, like looking back, I remember being excited for some reason, I remember vividly, like watching these kids like carry these styrofoam bodies across. Could not tell you what the pastor was trying to get across. Could not tell you <laughs> could not tell you the point of his sermon. It was a powerful visual, to be sure. I remember it almost twelve years later.
0: But But obviously it was not a great object lesson.
1: But it played to
0: this this social
1: what'd you call it josh social
0: social facilitation like it facilitates better in a social setting it absolutely did
1: it absolutely did okay so your reactions to that because that is just buck wild
0: uh bizarre story great visual though from the sounds of it um (laughs) but my honestly my gut feeling here is that We can identify things like social facilitation or uh, the opposite for those of you who are interested in these things. The opposite is called social loafing. The effect that when you're in a group, something is harder, but when you're alone, it's easier. Social facilitation also happens in sports arenas. So just because like a sports arena takes advantage of social facilitation, like it's easier to clap, it's easier to cheer, that doesn't make football bad. Like just because you use group dynamics. And I think the same can be said for these religious settings, like we are more likely to encounter social facilitation, but like that groupthink in and of itself is not inherently negative.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: like you brought up a great example of like how it was used and it was compelling in the moment, but like in the long run, it like didn't do anything for you. And I think right. that's great to acknowledge. Mm.
2: I think that's important for sure.
0: <sighs> so
1: anyway, that's my weird story from.
2: Wow. <laughs> now I'm going to have nightmares. Emily, do you remember Steven. that? I do actually, I do remember I was sitting, um, for that one, I was sitting above the floor, that first ring of the Metro, uh, closest to the left side of the stage. Wow. And I remember like, we could only see like a few kids at a time running. And honestly, like someone pulled out binoculars and was like, can you see exactly like what, what is happening? Cause like the cameras, you know how they have like the giant screens and everything and you hope that they're they're good quality, but sometimes they're not. And so like, I just remember one of my friends with binoculars saying, oh my goodness, look at his arm. And oh, there goes a foot and there goes a leg and there goes the head. And you're just like watching these people running through the metro with these body parts. And I am also with you. I have no idea what the point of that message was supposed to
1: I mean be. you're a pastor that's how would you preach that sad.
2: passage that's buck wild to me it's crazy i know i would not preach it in that way but <laughs> all right now i guess i have that's an idea funny. for a, a actually, sermon actually Stephen,
0: i like how you're ending this week with uh that example because i think i know what i want to bring up next week and this example would
1: tie in really oh, nicely. Give us a sneak peek, would oh. you, before we close?
0: Um, well, we will be deconstructing how Skillet's monster is just uh, an elaboration of total depravity and worm theology. So, on that note, um, oh. I, we're not going to be talking about that. What? Um, Why not? That's so fun. On the, i know that's that's really fun maybe bonus episode oh, question oh i don't oh. know question mark? we don't really do bonus episodes nah. yet but if you do want to support us on patreon we are on patreon you can find a link in we the show are. notes also you can find a link to anything we talked about any books we talked about uh i don't think we mentioned any articles this episode but we will have a link in the show notes absolutely emily will you lead us out of this discussion of conferences
2: Absolutely. Whether you attended one, led one, or wish to attend one, just know that those are spaces and arenas that you can ravel out your thoughts. You have the gift of discernment, and I suggest you use it wisely.
0: All right, let's see if the fourth take is the charm. I'm just like all rubber, I'm all butter, I'm all butter tongues tonight. Butter fingers, butter tongues. We need to have a word for when you just slip over your words. And it should be butter related because you actually eat butter in your mouth. I'm just rambling. Why is it so impossible? This is why monologue podcasts are the worst. All of the hate, all of the hate to John Green of the Anthropocene Reviewed. I'm so sorry, John, if you're listening to this. And I don't see why you would, because this is just a file that I'm giving to Stephen, that he's probably not going to turn into a blooper reel. Probably. I Even though I know that you used to be a minister and there's like a decent chance... Or no, you were going to be a minister? No. There's a decent chance you might run across this on the internet. But all of the hate to monologue podcasts. can't do it. I can't even imagine trying to podcast on my own. This is impossible. I like can't think of words to say. <laughs> Dang it, that was my best take. That one was my best take. I'm so sorry, Stephen. And all of the hate to John Green. Jake Green? John Green. We shouldn't invent another character. We shouldn't invent a third brother called Jake Green. That would be so confusing.